Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So here we are today in December. Can you believe it? December of 2023. Sometimes sounds made up, but it is where we are. And, and December, of course, is the time that as we start to look around, things start to change. The stage gets populated by poinsettias, and I start to feel a little bit like blocked in by what's going on up here. But, but as you see what's going on in the world around us, of course, we're getting ready for Christmas. And so we look and we see that there's decorations going up and different things and different music being played and different flavors at your local coffee shop. Uh, if you are anything like my family, then the decorations go up before the leftovers from Thanksgiving are even cold yet. Before they're ever even in the fridge, they're going up, the lights are going up. I put lights up on my house. My son was very nervous that I was going to fall off the roof. Thankfully, I did not, so that's, that's good. But you might be a little bit different, though. You might wait a little bit longer. You might be a last-minute decorator. You might not decorate at all. But we recognize that right now, this time we're, we're in, this season, is the Christmas season. And so we start to ask the question, what is the reason that we celebrate the season of Christmas? And as Christians, we know the answer very quickly is that the reason for the season is that we recognize the birth of Jesus. That's why we as the church celebrate this season because we, we recognize the fact that God came from heaven, from his heavenly throne, and he came down to be with us, humanity here on earth. And that alone is reason to celebrate. That alone is reason to be excited. But as I started to look at this a little bit more and think over the next couple of weeks, I started to ask the question, what does this incredible reality of the birth of Jesus mean for us as the church? What does this understanding that Jesus came to be born on the, in this earth, what does it mean for us as believers? What does it mean for us as individuals and families? And God brought me to this very specific word. I was praying and I felt like this word was what really encapsulates this season for us. And the word, if you look in the earthly definition, it means the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. But I like the biblical definition better. It says an expectation of what is sure and what is certain. This word that we're talking about is the word hope. It's the word hope. And for me, there are a few words that can compare to describing what it is that we experience when we look at the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus represented hope for the world. It started with the Hebrew people as they hoped for their Messiah that would come. It was a hope for a world who was stuck and lost and, and in a place of darkness and confined to a place without hope. But I also believe that it was a hope that was experienced in heaven. As all of heaven looked down on earth and saw what was going on and saw a humanity without a savior, there was a hope that those who would receive Jesus, who would see him as more than just a good man, more than just a prophet, more than a miracle worker, but that would receive him into their hearts, that there would be a transformation that would take place. You see, this season of Christmas is a season of hope, but it's not just the hope for us in the church. It is the hope for all humanity. And that really is the theme that we're going to be going after for this month. That Jesus is the hope 
for all eternity. Now, when we look at this story and we, we begin to unpack it a little bit, there's a few places that we could start. We could start all the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, which is after Adam and Eve had sinned. And we see God speaks these words prophetically. He said that there would be a time where the offspring of the woman, that even though his heel would be bruised, that he would crush the head of the serpent. That that prophetic word was the first prophetic word speaking to who the Messiah would be. All the way back in Genesis. We could fast forward all the way to the last words that Jesus spoke as he was on the cross and he said, it is finished where he proclaimed and declared those words over the kingdom of darkness, telling them that the victory had been won on the cross. But the place where I want to start today, the place where I want to begin this story, is in Genesis chapter 12. It's the place where we left off last week, actually, looking at the story of Abraham. Now, you might think this is a a weird place to start the Christmas story, but in truth, this is where it all began. This is where the story began to take shape. And so as we go through this, I want to ask that you would come with me as we look at how the stage was set for the Savior of the world to come into that little town of Bethlehem. So Genesis chapter 12, we know that this is where God comes to Abraham. He calls him, he says, Abram, I want you to leave your hometown, the place where you've grown up, everything that you've ever known. And as you do that, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to take your life and your obedience, and through you, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. But if you remember up to that point, and the the situations leading up to this, once again, man and woman, Adam and Eve had sinned. We had Cain and Abel. Cain had killed his brother Abel. And we had gotten to a point where it was so bad that it says that God looked down at all of humanity, and he said these words in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That is quite the indictment. Things sometimes can look pretty bad, but to say that the hearts of men were only on evil all of the time, that's that's a damning statement right there. And so we know what happens next, that God pronounces judgment on the earth. But he sets aside this man named Noah, a man of great faith, a man that is not just part of a Bible story that we tell our kids, a man who believed God in a time where there was seemingly no reason to believe God, building a giant boat in the middle of a place where there was no water and no rain had ever fallen. This was a man of great faith. But what God was doing is in the midst of this judgment that was coming against humanity, was he was giving them hope for a future. That he was preserving a remnant, an element of those who would continue on to continue humanity, to continue the purpose that God had for mankind. So the flood comes and Noah and his family are on the ark and the floodwaters subside and they come out of the ark. But mankind goes right back to doing what mankind did best, relying on themselves, looking for their own way, trying to figure it out on their own. We get to chapter 11 of Genesis and they're trying to build a tower to God, trying to get to heaven through their own strength and their own ability, heading in the same direction as they did before. 
See, at this time, humanity was a people without a hope of redemption. Mankind was in a place where they had no hope for being restored to the place that God had called them to. I want you to think about this, though, for a moment. Sometimes we read these stories, we look at them, and we move from one story to the next. But think about what it would have been like to be on earth at that time. You see, at that time, there was no local church to go to, no tabernacle. There was, there was no Bible to read. There was no ability to, to come into a place where, where we could find a Savior. You see, there was not even a family, there wasn't even a lineage that was present on the earth to bring about the hope that God had prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. There was no vehicle to be able to deliver that which mankind really needed. It was a time without hope until God shows up to Abram. And he says, Abram, I want you to be the one. I'm going to call you out so that when I bless you and I put this in your life, that out of you and out of your offspring are going to be, it's going to be a nation that is going to bless the earth. He speaks to Abraham and he calls him out and Abraham believes God. He says yes to him. And we see that he goes into this place in Genesis and there's multiple times where God speaks this word to him. Genesis chapter 12, 13, 15, 17, 21, and 22. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. But in each one of these promises, there's this word that we really need to be aware of. Because in each time that God shows up to Abraham, each year that goes by when he doesn't have a son, each moment in time where the promise has not yet been fulfilled, God keeps speaking this word to Abraham, and he keeps using this specific word. It's the Hebrew word, Zerah. This word means seed. And God continues to speak to Abraham about the seed that would come from his life. That you are going to be one who blesses the world through your seed. Through what is going to come out of your life. And so we get to Genesis chapter 22. But before this last promise is made, we see that there is something required of Abraham. Now remember, Abraham had waited these multiple decades for a son. He was a hundred years old. Isaac finally gets here and it seems like everything is going the way that he would want it to. What could possibly go wrong? Until God shows up and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to bring him to the top of this mount. I want you to bind him and to prepare him to be a sacrifice before me. I wonder what Abraham would have been thinking in those moments. I wonder where the hope was in that moment. You see, there was a hope for a son. It had been fulfilled, but now God was asking for that son back. But Abraham continued to trust in God. It tells us in Romans that Abraham knew, he believed that even if he offered up Isaac on the altar and actually sacrificed him, that God had the ability to bring Isaac back to him. You see, Abraham had a hope that was not found in his own understanding. Abraham had a hope that was not found in circumstances. Abraham had a hope that was found in God, in God alone. So he goes to sacrifice Isaac, and it says the angel of the Lord stops him and says, Abraham, now I know 
that because you are willing to give me your son, your only son, that now I am able to speak this blessing to you once again. So chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Was God speaking to a seed that would become the nation of Israel? Yes. Was God speaking to Abraham's direct descendants that would come after him and Isaac and Jacob? Yes. But was God only speaking to that point in time? Absolutely not. He was speaking about the seed that would come forth out of the place of belief in God, the faith that Abraham had in God. And he said that your seed is going to come forward. And from your seed, there is going to be victory. From your seed, there is going to be blessing. That from your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who was God speaking to at that moment? Who was God speaking about? Who was the seed? It was Jesus. You see, even in the book of Genesis, God was speaking about the hope of eternity. He was speaking that Jesus would come from the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and King David. That through his line, there would be a hope for salvation and redemption. He was saying that through his faith and obedience that the world would once again have hope. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 20 says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. But listen, through his seed, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. There was a hope that would come forth from this seed. And what we celebrate in Christmas is not just something that began in the Gospel of Luke. It was something that began before time when when God knew in his forbearance what would happen and made a way back to him through his son Jesus. We look and we continue to look because even though the story of hope begins here in the story of Abraham and, and even before, it did not end here. Because this word of hope would continue to be spoken for hundreds of years, through hundreds of prophecies. It's estimated that up to 700 prophecies were made in the Old Testament speaking to Jesus. 700. And that Jesus fulfilled every last one of them. You see, God continued to speak through all of time in the brokenness and the hurt, in the pain, in the places of darkness. God continued to speak this message of hope to humanity, a a message of hope that was light in the darkness. I want you to think about this here again for a moment. 
Hundreds of years before Jesus would enter the world, God was speaking to his people. He was letting them know that there would be a day where there would be the perfect spotless lamb that would come. That there would be a day that all that they had put their hope in, all that they had yearned after, it was coming. It was going to be theirs. It says in Genesis chapter 49 verse 10, God speaking through Jacob as he blessed his sons, he said, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Who is Jacob speaking about? Not a trick question, guys. Who is Jacob speaking about? Okay, one more time as you build a little confidence. Who is Jacob speaking about? All right, I'm, 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 okay. Numbers chapter 24, 17 and 19. God speaks through a prophet named Balaam. Now, Balaam is an interesting guy. You can go back and read his story. He's not there for the right reasons, but he is speaking over the nation of Israel, and he's supposed to be cursing them, and yet he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. Who's this one talking about? I know it's a little warm in here. Everyone's a little too comfortable. Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. It says, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. It is mind-blowingly incredible. Right answer, Dan. It is mind-blowingly incredible to think about the fact that there was the prophecy that was being spoken throughout all time coming to the place where we would see Jesus. But sometimes if we look back at this, I don't think we have quite the level of excitement that we should have. Because we look back in hindsight and we think from 2023, like, oh, that was pretty cool. God spoke some words. Jesus came and fulfilled them. But like for us as Christians who know the Bible, this is not, this is not news to us. But sometimes I feel that we look back at stories like this, at accounts of scripture like this, and, and we think, well, we kind of equate it to, oh yeah, that was really cool that, you know, how many years ago we sent a man into space. That was cool. Like it was really cool that we had electricity that was developed and invented and the light bulb and airplanes and cars. Like we look back in retrospect and we think, well, that was, that's an improvement, right? And we lose sight of the fact that God was speaking to a people in a time, in a place who did not have hope. And yet he was reminding them and speaking to them and declaring over them that there would be a time in which a savior would come that he would bring them, that he would bring them into a place of a new reality where what had been broken was now going to be restored. Uh, imagine being in that place and hearing these words. There, there is an excitement about this story that sometimes we lose as we're so far removed from it. But think about it. Think about what those words would have meant to them. 
Think about as they heard these words in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, God spoke these words, and and I believe it was in the same way as he stood at the beginning of time to all of creation, and he said, light be, and there was light. He was speaking to creation. He was saying, there is going to be a light that is going to come. There is going to be the word that is made flesh, that he is going to dwell among you, and that he will be Emmanuel. You see, this truth was the truth of hope, of a new reality. It was a hope that would be there for those who were drowning, for those who were dying. It was a hope that there would be a moment where the Savior of the world would come to live amongst men. You see, this wasn't just any hope. This wasn't just a hope. This wasn't hope like in the original definition where we kind of just hope that there's going to be something. No, it was an expectation that what God said was going to come into reality. But I have to tell you today, church, that that hope was not just for then. That hope was not just for that time of darkness. But that hope is here for us today. That that hope is here for this world that we're living in. The hope of Jesus is the hope that we are meant to carry. Not just for the Hebrew people, but for everyone. So we continue through the Old Testament, through the prophets through the judgments that were spoken. And we get to the end of the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And we see that as the last word is is spoken and prophesied, that there's a period of time that goes on again from the end of that book to where we find the Gospels being written. It's a period of 400 years. 400 years without the Word of God being at least written as Scripture. 400 years once again of feeling like there was darkness. You see, there were some good things that happened in this period for the Israelites, and there were some bad things. But, but ultimately, we get to the end of that, the end of those 400 years, and we find the Hebrew people again in a place of self-reliance. Their, their religion was better. It was more formed now. They, they had gotten rid of the idols, which was really good. But they had built a system of religion. There were those who served God, but they did so out of obligation that it was not serving God with their whole hearts. It was a nation still in bondage, and at this point, beneath the rule of the Roman Empire, a people in many ways hoping, but in a lot of ways without hope. But this is where we read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and I, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, this was the promise of hope once again. 
This was the promise of a Savior who would come in a way that no one expected, who would come in a circumstance that none could have predicted. I just want us to go back for a moment, though, and just to think about what was going on in heaven in that moment. What would heaven have been thinking and looking at as they heard the command that God spoke to Gabriel to go and to bring this word, to bring this prophecy that it was time? That the time that they had waited for, I wonder what the patriarchs were thinking, what Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were thinking. I wonder what Moses was thinking and and Joshua who had led them into the promised land. I wonder what what David was thinking where God had promised to David that the, the king would continue to stay in his line and that from him there would be blessings. I wonder what heaven was doing at this moment where Gabriel came to earth and spoke those words. He will be called Jesus. He will be the savior of the world. You see, this was a time where there was not just a hope that was needed on earth, but I believe that in heaven there was a hope because there was an expectation that the prophets of old who had foretold the arrival of the Christ, I wonder what they were thinking. This was an amazing time. You see, this was a world of darkness, a world without hope. And now the Savior of the world would be coming to dwell among them. The hope of the world would be coming to them as flesh. John says in chapter 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the Savior of the world was about to come on the scene. And what his birth was about to represent to that little town of Bethlehem is exactly what it represents to us here and now. A hope. A hope for what the Savior of the world means to us. A hope of who we are in Him. A hope of redemption and reconciliation. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we used to be. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, this hope is ours. This hope is what we must be so aware of. But we have to recognize, as we often say, that we have not been placed in the world at this time by accident. That we are here for a time and for a reason, and that our reality is that we must be those who walk in hope. We must be those who are the bringers of hope. We are meant to be hope personified as we receive the redemption of Jesus inside of us. We are meant to be those who recognize that we were once alienated. We were once those who were separated from God with no hope of redemption, no ability to come back. But that is now in the past because of what Jesus has done. It means that we must be the ones who recognize who we now are in Christ Jesus. 